0: We are grateful for the ministry that Jody has and super grateful and happy with him for the blessing of a wife. I'm not sure if he was doing ministry at that moment or not, but uh, we were certainly certainly happy for him. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Are you glad you're here? Yeah, I am glad that you're here. We are richly, richly blessed to be a part of the body of Christ, to be able to worship together. have folks who lead in a way that lifts our hearts and our attention to the Lord, to know that we get to partner with other folks who are part of what God is doing in the world. And so whether this is your first time here or you've been coming here for 40 years, we're really glad that you're here. One of our our ideas or our essentials as we grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers is that what happens in our courtyard is important just like what happens in our worship services are important. You know, we, we teach the word in here and we explain the scriptures. We worship in song. But so much of what happens in the life of a church happens after you walk out the doors. And so we want to just, I want to remind you that every Sunday, if you are not relationally connected, if this is the church you attend, but you don't really have a, a family within this broader family, please do don't delay any longer. Take the opportunity to find how can I get relationally connected with other folks here at the chapel. Or if you're looking for a Bible study where you can be equipped, not to get smarter, but equipped so that then you can make an impact like at your work or at your school, on your campus or in your neighborhood or wherever God has placed you that you could make an impact, then we really want to help you do that. We're glad that you're here, but we don't really want it to stop with just attending a worship service. The body of Christ is intended to be more than attending a worship service. So we want to help you with that. Now let me ask you a pretty serious question. Would you agree with me that our culture and our country is moving further and further away from this book? That's a pretty easy question, isn't it? The the answer to that is increasingly and almost alarmingly happening at an accelerated rate. The moral fabric of the society that we have lived in is coming apart at the seams. And there has been no, it's not out of the clear blue sky. There's been eroding over years, but the erosion is being revealed and it's coming apart. The pillars of absolute truth of the scriptures that have long stood in the culture in which we live, they are crumbling at an alarming rate. You'd agree with that? Yeah. And so I bring that to our attention because I have been for months now continually been asking the Lord, Lord, where do we go? What do you want to teach us from the scriptures as your body in this culture? I knew Colossians was coming to the end, and so I usually get asked once we hit you know, the last couple of verses, hey, what's next? But literally, I've been praying for months, Lord, what's next? And given where our culture is headed, You know, 1 Peter, we did 1 Peter in 2013, we called it trouble coming. Uh, I didn't even know then, quite frankly, how accurate that would prove to be, because trouble has come. It's, It's here in terms of who we are as a church in this culture. And so, a passage of scripture that has been pretty much in my thinking has been from Hebrews 10, where... The, the writer to the Hebrews writes, he says, remember the former days when after being enlightened, in other words, the Paul's there for a moment, he's writing to Jewish people who have heard the gospel, understood that righteousness was not obtained through the keeping of the law, but righteousness could only be obtained through faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, Resurrection. They heard the gospel, they were enlightened. In other words, they heard, they understood by God's grace, they were born again. But what happened? After being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Very anti American Christianity, where you accept Jesus and get your life good. They placed faith in Christ, and it got hard and ugly for them. They suffered for their conversion. Partly, it says, by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. In other words, they were not only persecuted personally, it was done to make a statement publicly, this is what happens for those who follow Jesus. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So it didn't happen to everybody, but there were those who were saying, I haven't suffered in that way, but my parents have, or my siblings have, or my children are, or my neighbors are. They were sharing in the same way that you grieve for people that you love when they suffer. They were sharing in that. For you showed, he says, sympathy to the prisoners, meaning that they were imprisoned for their faith and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. In other words, they were being their property was being taken away from them. Why? Why? Because of their faith, knowing, he says, that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Now, this is on my heart. This is what I've been thinking about because do you see that this could be sooner than what we think, us. Understand that the clouds have long rolled in and that the church as we have known it and walking with Christ, being Christ followers in the next 10 years may be radically, and I mean radically different than it's been for the past 100 years in America. And the question is, not, I don't think the question is, will that be our future? The question is, are we ready for it? This is a this is a question of preparation. Now, your faces tell me you could have stayed home and not come to such a depressing thought. You're like, oh, really? Hey, this is this is heavy thinking. But don't forget that I've often gone back to that the scripture says it's better to go to a to a funeral than a party. Why? Because when you go to a party, you kind of forget about life and you get zoned in in the moment. But nobody, nobody goes to a funeral without walking away thinking about the bigger questions of life. And so this is an important moment. This is a, a moment for us as a church and for us as individuals and for you as a family to think Do we see what's coming? It's easy to go, yeah, we see that our culture is eroding. Do you know what that means for us? Or is it so frightening that you're going, I don't like to think about it. I understand that. I don't like to think about it. I'm not saying this is great. I am saying hard, and hard like maybe we've never experienced, is most likely in our future. And I am wondering... Will this be us, not only in the experience, but will this be us in our readiness and response? Joyfully? Joyfully accepting? You know, how many more years will you get a tax deduction for giving? And when you don't, will you still give? And for how many years will we really be able to gather around the teachings of this book freely and not be persecuted for it? How many? And when it's illegal, will you? You see, our faith is going to be tested, right? As their faith was being tested. Hebrews 10 is about a people who are under a great degree of suffering, but have been faithful thus far. So, why in the world is he writing them? Well, look at how it continues. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. You see, he is writing them, not because they haven't experienced persecution and he's afraid they won't endure it. He's saying, you have experienced persecution and you're going to continue. Will you Endure so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will not delay. Who's he talking about? Yeah, the Father's promise that the Son is going to return and deliver us from that which is so hard and so suffering in our culture. He's saying don 't throw it away it 's going to happen. The Father has promised it don't throw in the towel. endure. but my righteous ones shall live how by faith that th- those two words by faith if if there is and this is in my seeking of the Lord in this regard. If there is a need for who we are as a church in our present day, given our coming future, there is a need for us to learn what it means to live, how? By faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul, the Father says, has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who who shrink back? Will that be our testimony? But of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I want you to know as we launch into what will be now a couple months. A couple months in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 that defines faith and identifies person after person after person who lived how? By faith, it was written for what type of people? People who were suffering, living in a culture that opposed their beliefs and persecuted them for it. And so, very simple, without an alarmist mentality at all, No intent to create panic, because panic is not of faith. It is to prepare us for what the church may experience in light of where our current culture is headed. That we would learn to live by faith, whatever. Because I don't know, and you don't know, what the next step and steps are going to hold. We only know that the call to be Hebrews 10, and we are going to become, I believe, Hebrews 10 people. That Hebrews 10 people, the calling of scripture is that you would learn to live by faith whatever. In other words, whatever occurs. Can't give and get deduction for it, can't gather, what are we going to do? Can't proclaim the scriptures, what are we going to do? What will it mean for us to live by faith, whatever? So this morning we're going to focus in, what does this word faith really mean in this context of seeking to be the people of God in the midst of our culture? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when we talk about faith defined, it is the assurance. I just want you to write it down so you can get this in your head if you take notes. Faith is, and he seems to say the same thing twice but using different words. First time he says it, here's the words he used. Assurance of things hoped for. The second time he says it, Conviction of things not seen. Doesn't it seem to say basically the same idea twice? Assurance and conviction being parallel words and things hoped for and things not seen being parallel ideas. So that's what faith is. And this is the key for us and how we are to live in light of the coming culture. By faith. So let's start with, what are the things hoped for and the things not seen? What's he have in mind? What does the writer mean when he says, faith is the assurance and the conviction of things hoped for and things not seen? What's what's he have in mind? Well, what he doesn't have in mind is what we wish. It's not like, well, I'm hoping for this for Christmas, or I was hoping for this for Christmas. Father's Day. This is not a wish list. Rather, it's not our wishes, but God's promises. When the writer is talking about faith, he's saying a key element to our faith is the content, the truth of the word of God. Could it it not be rightly said that faith is the assurance of God's promises, God's truth, and the conviction of God's promises. The the promises, as we'll see as we go throughout Hebrews 11, they're unseen. In other words, they haven't yet been realized, but they have been declared. Are they real? Yes, they're real. You just can't see them yet. So the word of God, the promises of God are the things hoped for, the things not seen that faith is rooted in. But he also says there is assurance in those things. There is conviction in those things. In other words, it's not a passive belief. God has promised, and I'm going to sit here and just watch it happen, There is assurance and conviction that indicates, and we'll see it repeatedly through the chapter, that faith is the active response because of the promises unseen made. Faith is truth and what? Action. It's truth and action. So it's by faith whatever. By faith, whatever happens, we're going to be rooted in the truth of the Word of God and act upon it. Two images. First, the image of an airplane. And I'm using the image of an airplane simply because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this wing is as important as this wing in an airplane. There's no one more important wing, right? You need to have them both. Don't go to the airport tomorrow and get on a one-winged airplane, Oh, because, well, it has the most important one. Both are equally important. When it comes to faith, what are the two equally important wings? Truth, the, the promises of God, the things hoped for, though not yet seen, and action, the assurance, the conviction. Those are both essential. Let me show it to you from the scriptures. James writes, faith is. If it has no works, is dead. Being what? By itself. In other words, faith, if it doesn't have works, is like a one-winged airplane. Works are essential. Actions are essential for faith to really be faith. Faith without actions is dead. That's what the scripture says. But it doesn't stop there. Not only is faith without actions dead... Proverbs 14 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man, uh, the action to do, but itself, but its end is the way of death. So, in other words, watch, you could say, I believe that's content. I believe that's God's promises, but if you never act, faith will never be living, productive. But if you go, oh, well, I'm going to act and I'll do whatever I think is best, is that not our culture right now? It's not a matter of what is declared is true. It's what I believe is true and I'm going to act on my truth. And so we're activists now, but it's abandoned from truth and that faith won't fly either. Faith is truth and action both. If faith without works is dead, and action apart from truth will lead to death. So, with that image, truth, action, what ails our culture? What have we lost? We've lost a commitment to Truth. I mean, just just listen. We showed you a number of weeks ago a video on a college campus just of how far we have gotten from truth in terms of absolute truth, God's declared truth. So we have a younger generation in America who's committed to action But committed to action according to truth, however they see it. And it's easy for older folks to look down and say, what's wrong with you? But do you know what their action without truth is in reaction to? Our truth without action. they've watched an older generation that says, we believe, but actually never love, serve, help, intervene. And so we'll act, but they've lost truth in reaction to a truth without action. Do you see that? Can you not see our history and where we are currently as a country in those clear terms? And so older folks, we have... for where we stand as a culture because we portrayed a truth without an action. And that is not a living faith. That's a dead faith. And young people came along and said, we want life. And they determined life action on their terms. And so we stand in a culture that has abandoned truth, but there is plenty of action Going on, And our young people are invited into action regardless of whether it is in line with the word of God, the truth of God, or not. So that's an image I hope you'll remember. Second image. Out on the ocean. Nothing on the horizon. This is your line of sight. You can't see anything. There is an island here, but you can't see it. If you can't see it, is it still there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's silly. But our, our culture, well, if I can't see it, then it's not there. And even if it's not there, if I imagine it there, then it is there. So you're out, and you're looking at a map, and you're lost at sea, and you're going, the map says there's an island there, but I can't see it. What are your options? Well, Your options are very clearly, and if you've ever been lost in a group, you'll know what I mean. Your options are very clearly two. One, we trust the map. Meaning what? Meaning we look at it and then we, we move towards it. Or, if you don't trust the map, what do you do? You follow the most persuasive charismatic person on the boat seriously if you've ever been lost in a group that's exactly what happens when the map is abandoned now it becomes a matter of personal opinion on the boat and the person who is most dynamic most articulate most persuasive that's the direction we go can you look in the mirror and see that that's what's happening in our present day, we've tossed the map. And so now it's not about truth. It's not about even character. It's about charisma and personality and who on the boat will we follow because we abandon the map. We are headed, <laughs> we are headed into a horizon, church, we can't see. It looks like there is ugly storms in our future. We can't see refuge. But what would faith do? If we really understand faith, what would faith do? Faith would move in the direction of the promise. Remember, faith is the assurance of things, hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith would move. Faith wouldn't simply sit there and go, well, wherever God blows us, that'll be where we go. Faith would move according to what the map says, according to what Scripture has promised. That's what faith does. Faith says, "What Scripture say we ought to do in this moment, and then we do. Whether it seemingly makes sense to us, whether it's visibly obvious or not, we trust the map. But why, why is this faith? <laughs> because it's often the unseen reality, and that's an important expression. We so often associate seen with reality, when in what, as people of faith, we must embrace very clearly that the scripture defines an unseen reality. That would be our driver, our map in such days. To do anything else, movement in any other direction, including no movement whatsoever, is not by faith and therefore, it's not pleasing to God. And that's not a line of commentary by me. That's simply the expression of the chapter we're going to study, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Now, what are the two wings of faith? Truth and action. See it here? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, look for truth, look for action, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What's the truth declared? That he is unseen reality and that he is a rewarder for Hebrews 10 people very much an unseen reality for them they're going rewarder how about we're getting whipped we're suffering this doesn't feel like reward at all see you've got to understand all that we talk about in Hebrews 11 in the coming weeks by faith by faith by faith who was it written for Hebrews 10, suffering people. I am hopeful that with an awareness, an alertness, to the day in which we live, we will look at Hebrews 11 dramatically different, not as just stories to know and people to, to go, oh, that was nice. Way to go, Jacob. Nice job, Joseph. Way to go, Moses. But that we would learn what it would mean to live in our day by faith. Whatever. The action, believe that God, excuse me, the truth, believe that he is and he is a rewarder. What's the action? Of those who seek him. This is... The act of faith. So by faith, Abel offered. We'll look at him next week. By faith, Noah prepared. <laughs> an unseen reality, but an action. That was faith for Noah. By faith, Noah prepared. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Abraham lived. By faith, Abraham offered. By faith, Isaac blessed. And by faith, Jacob worshiped. And by faith, Joseph mentioned. And by faith, he gave orders. And that's just Genesis. We're going to work our way through Hebrews 11, not, not simply to learn Old Testament history. That is not the goal. It was written. Why was Hebrews 11 written again? You remember? <laughs> For Hebrews 10, suffering type people. And they were being told, don't throw in the towel. Don't throw away your confidence. Endure. Now some of you, in very personal and profound ways, are going, "Uh, I don't need our culture to change for my suffering to be real. You've experienced suffering, and and you have needed by faith long before our culture turns upside down. I'm simply saying suffering is going to become far more common and far more real in terms of our experience from one person to the next. Hebrews ten type people, and this was written. All of the this will be studied, not so we can dissect able but we would learn how to have and live by faith whatever by faith whatever because each is a unique circumstance that the writer writes about the individual to encourage the Hebrew 10 sufferer endure so faith is necessary i hope you've gotten that <laughs> all that i've said thus far is faith is necessary more than ever for us now. The question is, how much? And I don't mean theoretically. I mean really. Can I have your eyes for a moment? I think all of us, when we watched what was happening with ISIS and swords on shoulders... We all had that still, small voice inside going, would I endure? Would I fold? You can't watch it and not ask yourself if you have any sense of that this is not just reality TV, that this is real life. You cannot watch it and not ask yourself if that was me. Would I fold or would I endure? Right? Would I have enough faith? I know it's necessary, but but will I have enough faith when the suffering begins? Will I have enough faith when the gathering is illegal? Will I have enough faith to continue to act when to speak this will be punishable? That's the Hebrews 10 issue. So it's necessary, but how much? So let me take you to an occasion in the life of the apostles. They're with Jesus. He speaks to them, and they reply, Lord, increase our faith. Now what does that tell you? Do they have faith? Yes? Yes? Yes, so they have faith, but what do the, what's it tell you they think? That they don't have enough for that moment, that they don't have faith enough faith for whatever. The specific whatever in this situation in Luke 17 was, "If your brother sins, rebuke him. This is Jesus talking to his guys. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying I repent, don't believe him. Make him pay until you're really sure he's sincere. Now that's what we think. That's the end that makes sense to us that leads to death. But what Jesus says: if he returns and he repents, do what. Forgive him. And you know what the disciples said to that mess? Increase our faith. We don't have enough faith for that. It, we don't have enough. We had enough faith if the guy wrongs me and he says, sorry, I, I, wrong, I forgive you. And maybe two, and if it was a really good sermon and a great praise night, maybe three. But seven times in one day, the same person, Ah, uh uh-uh. We don't have enough faith for that moment. It's the sword in their shoulder a moment. We don't have enough faith. To which Jesus says to their increase our faith, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now that's some serious stuff, miraculous out of the crazy stuff, right? How much faith there? A mustard seed. You know what he's saying? Let me show you a mustard seed. You see it there? No, that's the point. You don't see it. It's so small that only the front little bit can see it. Folks in the back, you can't see that little seed right there? Why? Because Jesus' point is you think you need more faith. You don't need more faith. What do you need? Faith. Why? Because faith is not measured, it's not about the size, it's about the attendance. Now make sure you understand what I'm saying and what you're writing down. It's not measured by size, it's attendance. In other words, when often, and I still get pushback from so many folks on this, "Ah, that can't be right Doug. That can't be right. I've always heard we got to grow in our faith, grow in our faith, grow in our faith. I agree. We should grow in our faith. But we have grow in our faith so embedded into the way the tomatoes on my back porch grow. They're little and then they get bigger. The way babies grow. They're little and then they get bigger. We think grow means bigger. It means you got cherry tomato faith for forgive them one time, you need a watermelon-sized faith to forgive them seven times. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't need that. Think small, that big, that's how much you need. If you have this much, it's e- enough. This is sufficient. Why? Why is, why is it sufficient? Because if faith is present... Not absent, attendance. If it's present, it's enough. When is faith not enough? When it's not absent. You don't need watermelon faith when the sword's on your shoulder. A seed will be sufficient. And here's why. Because the the power of faith is not in the amount It's not in the amount. What's it in? It's in the object. Otherwise, faith Yeah, faith, not God. When I turned sixteen, I needed a car immediately. So literally, the day I turned 16, I emptied my savings account and bought a car. My brother said, that's a terrible car, don't buy it. And I bought it anyway, and it was a terrible car. I still had it when Jackie and I got married. I do not know how many miles it got per gallon in gasoline. I do know it took a quart of oil per 75 miles. (laughs) So when we went from Florida to Pennsylvania, driving up 95, every 75 miles I had to pull over, pop the hood. Put in a quart of oil and drive 75 more miles. And people said, you're going to drive that car to Pennsylvania? You must have faith. Okay, what were they really saying? Were they congratulating me? What were they really saying? Your car is terrible. They were calling my car a piece of junk for you to trust that to go the whole way there man you must have great faith that's a commentary on the car and so when the disciples say to jesus we need more faith that's a slap in the face of god calling him weak as if a seed of faith in him wouldn't be enough. As if the power would be in the size, not the object. I wonder if you caught that. You see, when we think, no, I need to grow in faith, that is, I need to have more faith. The end result will be, then I'll get the applause. Because I had more faith. But if I have that much faith, who gets the applause? God. That's that's why this is so important. God, not the follower of God, gets the glory when we understand that the power of faith is in the object of the faith. Therefore, the size isn't the issue. It's the attendance that is the issue. Will there be faith at the moment suffering comes? I don't need it to be watermelon size. A mustard seed will be sufficient because if there is faith there, then the object of my faith, if it's truly in the Lord Jesus, will be sufficient. Hope you capture that. Because it turns this whole idea of by faith, whatever, not into a celebration of who we are going to become, but in a celebration of who our God is. He he says to them, You accepted it joyfully, not because you were great. Why did he say in Hebrews 10 they accepted it joyfully? Do you remember? You accepted it joyfully because you have a better and more lasting possession called God Himself. You make heaven. Well, what makes heaven heaven? The presence of God is what makes heaven heaven, and the complete absence of God is what makes hell hell. wasn't the greatness of their faith it's the greatness of god so we often call hebrews 11 oh we're going to be talking about hebrews 11 the the hall of faith if you hear me call it that way myself permission to slap me seriously because you know hebrews 11 is not about lifting up up a bunch of people that we make our heroes Who is Hebrews 11 intended to be lifting up? God himself. See, Hebrews 11 is not about great people. Hebrews 11 is a tribute to the timeless trustworthiness of our God. That in the midst of the unseen, he was trustworthy to those who stepped. Not because they had watermelon faith. A mustard seed would do because it's in the object, not in the size. So should we grow in our faith? I'm not trying to trap you. I think you're like, I don't know. I'm going to answer that right now. Should we grow? Yes, the scripture repeatedly says, grow in your faith. I'm praying that you'll grow in your faith. We just need to rethink growing our faith from whoop, 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 growing to attendance. Say it this way. Having more faith is in reality having faith more. You see, where you put the more on faith makes all the difference in who gets the glory and what the goal is. It's having faith more. In the language that I hope will capture in the coming months, it's having faith whatever. So is we launch this series into Hebrews 11, the tribute to the timeless trustworthiness of God. Here's our simple prayer. I want to have faith more. I wonder if, well, I want to give you an opportunity. This is just a moment for you to pause quietly there in your seat. Make this but you would pray to the Lord, I want to have faith more. Father, I just want to say thank you for your word, thank you for truth. thank you for your trustworthiness. Would the glory of your greatness be elevated such in our thinking and in our understanding? that our our seed of faith would be increasingly present. Would you grow us individually? Grow us as a church. Grow us as a, a team of elders. Grow us as a staff. Grow us in our family groups, in our adult fellowship. Grow us, Lord, to have faith more. To the praise of your glory. knowing that you are our greater, better, abiding, everlasting possession. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen.